internet, welcome to Film Theory, the show that won't charge you $27 million a year to fix your problems. How's that for cost savings there, Bob Iger? Have you noticed that a lot of movies have bombed recently? Fast X underperformed, The Flash is looking like it'll lose $200 million to Warner Brothers, making it the biggest comic book movie bomb ever. Even objectively great films like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning 1 fell short of expectations this summer. But the biggest victim of the box office bloodbath for the last two years has got to be our mouse-eared overlords at Walt Disney Corp. Doctor Strange 2, Thor 3, and Black Panther 2 all came in under expectations. The Little Mermaid vastly underperformed. Both Ant-Man 3 and the new Indiana Jones were also costly losers. No one even remembers Disney's last animated feature film Strange World, and Elemental had the lowest opening of any modern Pixar film ever, including Lightyear, the massive bomb that was released right before it. The long and short of all of this, things are bad at the House of Mouse right now. Disney's shares are at the lowest that they've been since COVID hit back in March of 2020, and to turn it all around, they're considering selling off their TV businesses, spinning off ESPN, laying off thousands of employees. We are truly witnessing the death of the Disney empire happening in real time right now, but I think that there's a way to fix things, and the key to it all is YouTube. So grab your popcorn as I prepare to tell you a story far more compelling than anything's put out over the last few years. It's time to fix Disney in three easy steps. Basically, when you break it all down, Disney's problems largely boil down to three major topics, streaming, budget, and story. So let's go through them point by point, starting with streaming. One thing that everyone tends to overlook when they first start a streaming service is that you need a steady flow of content to make it work, to keep people hooked on the platform, and making content tends to be expensive. But even if you thread the needle and manage to solve both of those issues, making lots of content for a relatively cheap price, it just opens a well of new issues that are more difficult to solve. Let me explain. To prevent people from bouncing off the platform, most of Disney's star studios have been relegated to content factories to feed the Disney Plus machine. In 2020, Disney held an Investor Day presentation, where they had Marvel and Lucasfilm announce 10 projects each, and Pixar announced another 6. It wasn't all streaming focused, but a whole lot of it was. In addition, the service has been flooded with Disney dipping into all its other major IPs. Live action remakes of Peter Pan, serialized versions of High School Musical, the return of nostalgic classics like Willow, and the launch of anticipated new IP like Artemis Fowl. Disney owns some of the most beloved IP on the planet, and they've been pulling it all off the shelves to try and keep their content offering on Disney Plus robust, and most importantly, sticky to keep all those finicky streaming audiences that are quick to cancel a subscription. Despite it being difficult and expensive to stay on that online content treadmill, at least on the surface, it looks like Disney managed to thread the needle. But in achieving that, they've actually exposed themselves to a problem that's far worse. Brand dilution. There's no arguing that pretty much every single one of these cherished franchises has become significantly less special over the last five years, simply because there's just so much of them around at this point. Toy Story 4? Lightyear? Toy Story 5? You can only go to the pump so many times before the audience can smell a shameless cash grab. Going back to those Investor Day announcements, most of the Star Wars ones, they were quietly cancelled. A completely different Episode 9, a Boba Fett solo movie, a trilogy from Ryan Johnson, another trilogy from the Game of Thrones guys. When something new from Star Wars gets announced at this point, there's little trust that it's ever gonna see the light of day, and even less trust that it's gonna be good. Andor, for instance, it was legitimately great. Seriously, it was the single best thing that Star Wars has produced in years. But you know why no one watched it? Because it was buried under a slew of underwhelming projects like the Book of Boba Fett, Obi-Wan Kenobi, late season Mandalorian, and Episode 9. People lost trust with the brand, and as a result, deprioritized watching all the new stuff that was rolling out. The MCU is having the exact same issue right now. Look at this. Phase 1 had 746 minutes of content spread over 5 years. Phase 2, 757 minutes spread over 3 years. And then you had Phase 3 at 1,500 minutes spread over another 3 years. 
three years. That was a pretty significant jump, but it was nothing compared to Phase 4. Thanks in part to the introduction of Disney Plus and the requirement for streaming content, Phase 4 had a staggering 3,500 minutes spread across only two years. There's been more MCU content in the last two years than the preceding 12 combined. A Marvel release used to feel like an event, like you had to see it. Nowadays, though, it's quite literally a weekly occurrence, so of course people are going to be less excited for new installments like Secret Invasion, regardless of their quality. Don't worry, we're going to address the quality here in a second. What's worse, in their drive to Disney+, Plus, the mouse has lost out on a lot of money they probably didn't need to. Looking at the list of original films created and released by Disney, so many of them are going straight to Disney+, Plus without making any money in a theater. This year alone, across all their studios, six of the 14 Disney films so far have premiered directly on Disney+, Plus or Hulu, with no additional cost. In 2022, a whopping 27 premiered on streaming, and only 16 were in theaters. Now compare all that to 2018, the year before Disney Plus launched, where Disney released only 10 films total, all of which obviously went to the theaters. Not only do these streaming premieres mean that they're losing a lot of money from the theatrical window, but it becomes an even bigger issue when you combine it with our next major problem, budgeting. The budgets for so many modern blockbusters, and especially those made by Disney, are just out of control. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny cost $300 million to make. Guardians 3 and the Little Mermaid, $250 million each. Quantumania, a cool 200 mil. They even spent $150 million on Haunted Mansion. Why would you spend $150 million on a Haunted Mansion movie? And the true number is probably more like $300 million if you include the marketing for it. Even Disney's animation wing isn't safe. Both Encanto and Strange World cost somewhere between $135 and $180 million to make. While almost all of Pixar's latest releases put their budgets between $150 and $200 in range. Now, you might be looking at all those numbers and thinking, wow, that's a lot, but aren't all movies super expensive? And the answer is yes, but also no. Yeah, they cost hundreds of millions of dollars, but not that many hundreds of millions of dollars. When you look at other massive blockbusters currently in theaters, most are not looking like this. Oppenheimer had a massive cast and incredible experimental filmmaking techniques, and it cost just $100 million to make. John Wick 4? Elaborate action sequences with top-tier stunt work and incredible set designs at multiple real-world locations. Also cost just $100 million. Barbie is the biggest movie of the summer. It has iconic art direction, detailed fictional worlds with real sets, and A-list actors who enjoyed being there. And it was made for less than $150 million. Over on the animation side, the newly released Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie cost $70 million. While Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and Across the Spider-Verse, and the Super Mario Brothers movie were all at about $100 mil each. All of these are half to a third of what Disney is paying to make their movies. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that it's a lot easier to get back what you put in when you're only $70 million in the hole, as opposed to $200 million. All of this begs the question of, why though? Why are these movies so expensive? Well, it's complicated, and it ultimately comes down to a lot of different factors. An over-reliance on CGI, a push to develop new technologies, writing that just doesn't keep budgets in mind. But one of the biggest contributors to the inflation of a movie's budget over at Disney that a lot of people don't talk about are reshoots. A reshoot is where a film brings back the cast and crew to refilm scenes that didn't work, or to film new scenes that become needed as they get into the editing process. Don't get me wrong, reshoots are a perfectly normal part of production, and they can really help bring a movie together. A lot of very successful films have had reshoots. Back to the Future, E.T., Rocky, that's not the sort of stuff I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is when a movie studio sees the rough cut of a movie, gets cold feet, and then suddenly decides they basically need to start over from scratch. Probably the most famous example of this was with Zack Snyder's Justice League, but Disney, they too have been guilty of this a lot lately. Most publicly with Solo, A Star Wars Story. Originally, that movie was directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the two guys behind Spider-Verse and the Lego Movie. But Disney didn't like what they saw, and so they hired Ron 
power to reshoot an estimated 80% of the movie, thereby doubling its budget to somewhere around $300 million. Now, as we all know, Solo did not do super well. It only grossed about $400 million worldwide, a number that suddenly becomes a lot less painful to look at if your original budget was just $125 million. But all the streaming and budgeting changes in the world are going to be useless if they continue to fail at our third main point, story. So many Disney films lately have been failing at making a story that's both worth telling and that audiences want to hear. Disney keeps hoping that you can still slap a brand name onto something and it'll sell, but that just doesn't work anymore. Audiences aren't stupid. They can tell when a story is being told just because the bean counters think it's gonna make money. Like, who asked for Zootopia 2, Frozen 3, Inside Out 2, Toy Story 5? All of those are real movies that are happening in the near future, even though it feels like that list should be a parody. But making unnecessary sequels is just the tip of the iceberg. Disney also doesn't understand where their stories fit anymore. Look no further than The Eternals, which introduced a dozen new characters and 10,000 years of backstory into a two-hour film. Why wasn't this a Disney Plus series that could have given the concept time to breathe? Meanwhile, they're clearly stretching out stories that don't need to be TV shows. The Obi-Wan series is a great example of this. There was a really strong core narrative there about Obi-Wan's relationship to Vader that ultimately got buried under the bloatware of side quests and subplots. And hey, wouldn't you know it, Obi-Wan was originally written to be a two-hour film that they decided to turn into a six-hour series. If you want a super recent example, Secret Invasion, which, man, I have no idea what Marvel was thinking on this one. Let's take this iconic storyline from the comics with an Avengers-level threat and adapt it into a spy thriller with basically no spying, no thrills, and no Avengers. What should have been this amazing tentpole moment in the Avengers line of films, I mean, who doesn't love themselves a good imposter storyline, became yet another piece of wasted potential content to further dilute the MCU brand on Disney+. And again, here's the problem when you start dumping out a lot of content all at once just to keep us on the digital treadmill. People start to see patterns, they see the trends, the formulas that you're using. For example, why have so many big tentpole Disney releases lately had a main character becoming jaded just because they lost a loved one? It happened with Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Indiana Jones, Obi-Wan Kenobi, heck, even Haunted Mansion and Secret Invasion, which you probably shouldn't know because why would you ever bother to see those things? This generation of stories has seen our fictional heroes become miserable. And let's be real, that is not something that fans want to see. We fell in love with these characters for a reason. They inspired us for a reason. Seeing them crushed under the same depression of reality that we real people face every day is not fun. Sure, it might be more realistic to see a disillusioned Indiana Jones, but audiences go to the movies to escape from reality, to believe in something better, something greater, to have something to hope for and aspire to. And Disney is no longer providing those hopeful messages. So that's a lot of doom and gloom, right? Is there any way that Disney, and really the entire film industry, can fix all these issues? Well, yeah, actually, all you gotta do, treat it like a YouTube channel. What I mean to say is that they need to program their slate of movies just like you do a YouTube channel. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret here, loyal theorists. We spend a lot of time thinking about what theories we put up across all the different channels, with multiple weekly meetings trying to figure out what would work best where, planning out when things should go up, and what videos complement each other, all for the overall health of the business. You can't just throw up a video willy-nilly and hope everything goes well these days. No, you need to make sure that you have solid videos here and there to keep the system and your viewers happy. And everything we talked about today with Disney are things that regularly come up in our day-to-day -day conversations about how to run things here at Theorist. First of all, we have a quality bar that episodes just have to hit. Otherwise, they're not going to get made. Our primary metric in the success or failure of a video isn't revenue. It's actually you, the community. Could we make more money by pumping out more episodes every week? Probably. But in the process, we would burn you out and by necessity, dilute the show as we greenlight worse and worse 
episodes. See, in YouTube analytics, they give you a handy little chart ranking your most recent releases from 1 to 10 in terms of how well it's performing. Well, ideally, every upload you do is going to be a 1 out of 10. That's just not realistic to have that sort of expectation. In the end, something is inevitably going to be a 10 out of 10. And if you're good at what you do, you know when those 9s and 10s are going to hit, and so you have to surround that low performer with stuff that you know is going to do well. Otherwise, you risk taking L after L after L, and you start making a narrative about how bad your stuff is now, how much it's fallen off, or worse, the algorithm decides that people no longer care about your channel. Apply this concept to Disney, and you immediately see what they have to do with their IP. When you have back-to-back-to-back-to-back disappointments line up, like in Marvel's recent roster, it creates a downward spiral that's pretty hard to break in the public consciousness. But if you mix in one or two goods with the bad strategically, suddenly it's much harder to craft a doom and gloom narrative. Here's an example programming lineup. Multiverse of Madness, Wakanda Forever, Guardians 3, Love and Thunder, Quantumania. That looks a lot different from what really happened, where Guardians 3 appeared at the end. The real release order gave you four disappointments in a row before you got a small pick-me-up with the generally well-received Guardians. But if Guardians had been in the middle, the disappointments are suddenly broken up. There's a gap there. The lackluster movies on either side of it, it's just a franchise coasting along waiting for the next big event. In fact, I could make this programming lineup even better if Wakanda Forever had actually been first in the list. The mediocre performance of Wakanda actually was made significantly worse by the disappointment of Multiverse of Madness that came directly before. Had it come before Doctor Strange, that movie wouldn't have been saddled with all the extra scrutiny of, is Marvel losing its way? If Wakanda Forever isn't good, it means it's the end of Marvel, thereby leading to a different cultural conversation around it. Release order matters when it comes to shaping the narrative around your brand, and it matters a lot. The same thing holds true for any experimental episodes. Disney needs to be making films about new IP, like Pixar's Elio, or lesser-known characters like Marvel's Moon Knight. But obviously, those projects are going to be risky, so you balance that risk out by putting them between other projects you expect to do well. Your Toy Story 5s, your Avengers, your Guardians. This accomplishes three things all at once. You mitigate your risk, you spread out the quote-unquote cash grabs, and you potentially find your next explosive IP. Again, let's look at film theory for an example. On this channel, we have a few relatively sure things. Our tentpole programming, analog horror, Spider-Man, nostalgic kid shows. And knowing that, we're able to put the stuff that we're not sure about between them. And then, if something surprises you and it does manage to explode, BAM! You have yourself a new strong subject to slot other unknowns in between. That is literally what happened to us with the back rooms. We weren't sure how that one was gonna do, and it ended up doing gangbusters. The gamble paid off, and it paid off in a big way. But we also know that we can't release too many of those things in too quick of succession. We can't release a backrooms theory every single week, because even though they'll do well, people will eventually stop caring if we do too much, and they'll stop coming back because we're no longer adding anything to the conversation. Does that sound familiar, Star Wars? How about you, Marvel? Can you relate? And just in general, when running a YouTube channel, you gotta know what episode ideas are gonna work best as shorts, and which ones merit a full video. We don't try to take something that's clearly a short and then bloat it into a full 15-minute video, or vice versa. Just like Disney shouldn't be looking at something that's clearly an hour-and-a-half movie and trying to turn it into a 10-episode miniseries just so they get more watch minutes on their streaming app. Content needs to fit where it tells the best story. Lastly, in terms of our budgeting, we have to make sure that an episode can make back the money that we're spending on making it, paying the writers and editors that are working on it. And we budget it just based on the AdSense we expect to make from that video. Anything extra that we get from brand deals or merch sales or whatever is a nice plus. It allows us to expand the team, to do more ambitious projects. But we can't budget every single video that way because eventually we're gonna lose that bet and we can't run the business anymore. Think of our AdSense like your box office, Disney. Sure, every now and then we could do a more expensive video, something that takes a bit more time, or just invest in a passion project. That's gonna be maybe a once or twice a year thing, not an every release thing. Disney, you can't keep releasing 
$300 million movie after $300 million movie without knowing that you're gonna earn that back at the box office. Budget according to what you know you're gonna earn in the theaters. That way, all the ancillary stuff, that's all gravy. Anything you earn on top of that, boom, it's a bonus. You became that much more profitable. You know what's gonna help with that? Fixing your reshoot issue. Let me tell you, as I was researching this episode, just as someone running a media company, my jaw hit the floor when I saw how often companies like Disney are doing reshoots that majorly overhaul the movie. How are you rolling on day one without having a clear vision that the writers, directors, producers, and studio have all agreed to? At Theorist, we don't do an episode unless all of our senior creative team are on the same page about what that episode's gonna be. And more importantly, when we work with brands, we require that every single stakeholder review and lock the script before shooting begins. That way, no one can ask for a last-minute change. We learned early that those reshoots and re-edits cost a fortune, killing our process. But by forcing everyone to get on the same page early, even if it's painful and slows the process down a bit at the beginning, it saves so much time, money, and a ton of headaches on the other, much more expensive end of the production process. All in all, in their desperate bid to try to catch up to Netflix with their streaming service, throwing money at their problems in hopes that they'll go away, Disney lost sight of what made entertainment work since the very beginning. Making what you can, making what you're good at, keeping it on budget, and telling a story that's worth telling. And if we here on YouTube can do it, they have no excuse. Or, if they can't get their act together, maybe the death of Disney was ultimately for the best. But hey, that's just a theory. A film theory. And cut.